Welcome to Council Connection for March. I'm your host, Steve Dresser. Here in Massachusetts, spring is just around the corner. The baseball season is going to start soon. But where's the sun? Seems like all I've seen for the last few weeks is nothing but rain, rain, rain. And I just wish it would go away. We can't make the rain go away, but maybe we can do some other things to entertain you. This month, we'll take a look at an exciting skill for your smart speaker, 3D printing, how it works and how can we use it. And we'll begin with accessible voting. Regardless of your political views or party affiliations, 2024 is an important election year. Prior to COVID, it was pretty much a given that in order to vote, you'd go to the polls. But now we have other choices. We can vote by mail or we can record our choices electronically online. This year, for the sake of convenience, I decided to use my electronic online option. It worked very well for me here in Reading, and I hope that wherever you live, it works as well for you as it did for me. A little more than a week ago, I logged on to the Secretary of State's website and applied for my electronic online ballot. After filling out my name and email address, along with my street address, I was informed that I would soon be receiving two emails, one with a PIN and the other with instructions on how to vote. This is done for security reasons, so that if someone manages to get hold of one of those emails, they would still not have all the necessary information to complete the ballot. By the end of the week, I hadn't yet received either of the emails, and I began to get nervous. But on Sunday night, they both came through, and I was extremely relieved. On Monday morning, I opened the email with my pin, found it, copied it to the clipboard, and then opened the email with instructions on how to vote. Embedded in the instructions was a link that brought me to the website where I was about to cast my ballot. After pasting my PIN into the appropriate place, I was shown a form with a series of checkboxes for each of the candidates in both the national primary and the town elections. Once again, the site proved very easy to navigate. All the checkboxes were clearly marked, and I could go to each contest by following the headings on the page. The whole process of voting took about 15 minutes, including the time I spent carefully reviewing my ballot. Once I was sure I had made all the correct choices, I typed in my signature as it appeared on the registration form, hit the submit button, and was immediately told that I had successfully cast my vote. Having had such a positive experience with online voting, I wanted to know how the process went for someone living in a different part of the state. Mary Heroyan lives in Worcester, and she joins me now to talk about how the process went for her. So, Mary, how did the voting go? Uh... Well, I think things went well. I mean, I know that um, in the city of Worcester, there was, of course, early voting mm-hmm. happening at least, you know, a couple of weeks before. And I, I haven't read any statistics about turnout, but um, I think overall in the state, tur- turnout was high, yeah. higher than expected. Did you vote uh, in the primary or did you sit this one out? No, I, I voted in the primary and I used the uh, online accessible vote by mail ballot. We got our ballots back in early February, if not the end of January. It was really early. I remember thinking getting it. It's like, wow. So as soon as we had filled out the application, you know, the request to get the, the uh, online ballot, it was sent sent out to us right away. Well, so, um, yeah, so we had it, and, and the ballot worked really well. 
and I, I did it on the computer, the PC this time. I, in the past, I've used the iPhone, and it worked very, very smoothly on the computer. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it just, uh, it's just sometimes so hard to believe it could be that easy. <laughs> well, and in an ideal world, that's the way it should be. Yes, I, I agree, and I, I feel so fortunate, you know, because here in Massachusetts we have that ability as those of us, you know, who are blind or have other disabilities to be able to vote this way completely accessibly, you know, not having to worry about even printing out a ballot and mailing it. Everything is done, you know, electronically. Even down to the point of the signature. Yes, absolutely. That gave me a moment of panic when I looked at the signature and I thought, oh boy, they've got a graphic here. Am I going to have to somehow sign this with a mouse or, you know, do something. And then I saw the edit box that said, type your signature, and I typed it. And all of a sudden I noticed that the um, graphic suddenly had the same thing that I had typed. Uh, Oh, oh, you were able to tell that. Yeah, I I went up and looked at the graphic after I typed in the the edit box, and it was there. Yes, it's it's an amazing system. And, of course, it's the same system that... Uh, voters, you know, in Massachusetts, you, well, or maybe throughout the country, I'm not sure, but for people who are, you know, American citizens or U.S. citizens living, you know, in other countries, they're able to use this method to vote, I think, or at least veterans are. I'm not sure whether we'll have to fill out another application to request a ballot or if I think the one we just completed took care of the whole year, if you indicated you wanted all of the ballots electronically this year. I, I can't remember now, but... That's my understanding of it, too, and I did check that box. Mm-hmm. But, well, I'm glad it went so well for you, and um, let's hope it continues. Yes, definitely. Thanks for stopping by. Oh, thank you for having me, Steve. Take care. If you'd like to share your voting experience with the rest of us, please leave a message in the BSCB Fillmore box at 773 773- These days, blind people have so many ways to read books. We can read them on cartridges, we can read them on our phones, our Victor Reader streams, and very soon we'll be able to read them on our smart speakers. For a little over a year, the National Library Service has been working on an Alexa skill, which they demonstrated in their monthly Faces of Bard call in February. Let's listen. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Mini Faces of Bard February. I'm Tamara Rory, head of the Patron Engagement section, and tonight we will be demonstrating the Bard skill on the smart speaker. You've heard about this, and you've been... Um, you've been hearing about it now for over a year. We have over 500 people beta testing that skill. So Z Wong, our patron and um, patron education and training specialist, is going to be providing us with a demo. Z, are you ready? I am ready, Tamara. Can you hear me? All right. I can hear you. Go for it. Before I get started, let's talk about a few things. The first one is <clears throat> there are two known ways to interact with your Amazon smart speaker. The first one is use the dedicated button to call it. This is not available on all models and it's not the one we will use today. The second one is to call the wake word. I'm sorry, I will be setting off some devices for the moment. The wake words have multiple options and they include 
Alexa, which is the default, Echo, Ziggy, Amazon, and Computer. For the sake of demonstration today and not trying to set off too many devices, we're going to go with the wake word computer today. Before I get going, let's talk about a few basic commands that you'll hear throughout this demonstration. The first one is open my talking books because you might actually want to use the skill. The second one is clear dialogue. This is a useful tool because while you're having the conversation with the smart speaker, you may want to reset it or not let it get confused or confuse you in a conversation. So clear dialogue kind of starts that conversation over. And the last one is cancel because at some point you might want to exit. All right. So let's talk about some things the smart speaker, uh, uh, my talking books does. The first one is it actually lets you search the Bard interface. So I'm going to get ready to use uh, the commands I gave you and actually do a search. Here it goes. Computer, open my talking books. Welcome back, Z, to my talking books. Surveys are available. Say, surveys, to check them out. Say, restart book, to continue listening to your last book. Ask, most recent book, to know its title and reading position. Search book title, The Joy of Cooking. Books with title, The Joy of Cooking. 1. Joy of Cooking, by Irma von Starkloff Rombauer, Marion Rombauer Becker. 2. Joy of Cooking, by Irma von Starkloff Rombauer, Ethan Becker, Marion Rombauer Becker. 3. Joy of Cooking Christmas Cookies, by Irma von Starkloff Rombauer, Ethan Becker, Marion Rombauer Becker. 4. Stand Facing the Stove, The Story of the Women Who Gave America the Joy of Cooking, by Ann Mendelssohn. Say a number or words from the title or say options for more commands. 1. You selected, Joy of Cooking, by, Irma von Starkloff Rombauer, Marion Rombauer Becker. Narrator, Gwen Davenport. 73 hours 42 minutes. Say, play, or say options for more commands. Annotation. Annotation, first published in 1931, this all-purpose, popular cookbook includes a complete range of recipes, divided into three sections, food we eat, foods we heat, and foods we keep. This new edition contains more than 4,500 recipes. Say, play, or say options for more commands. Go back. Going back. Books with title The Joy of Cooking. 1. Joy of Cooking, by Irma von Starkloff Rombauer, Marion Rombauer Becker. 2. Joy of Cooking, by Irma von Starkloff Rombauer, Ethan Becker, Marion Rombauer Becker. 3. Joy of Cooking Christmas Cookies, by Irma von Starkloff Rombauer, Ethan Becker, Marion Rombauer Becker. 4. Stand Facing the Stove, The Story of the Women Who Gave America the Joy of Cooking, by Ann Mendelssohn. Say a number or words from the title or say options for more commands. 2. You selected, Joy of Cooking, by, Irma von Starkloff Rombauer, Ethan Becker, Marion Rombauer Becker, Narrator, Mary Kane, 122 hours 16 minutes. Say, play, or say options for more commands. Add to my wish list. Okay. 
add a joy of cooking to your bard wish list. Say, play, or say options for more commands. Suspend. Okay, so as you see, that was a basic search. I searched for a specific book title. I purposely picked one that had、uh, multiple copies of the same book, and I was able to pick the first one, read the annotation, and find out the reading time. I then went back, chose the second one, and I decided after hearing that that's the longer version, it's the one I want, and I was able to add it to my wish list. <laughs> okay, now let's talk about. The ability to search with other methods, such as by author,、uh, subject, uh, um, narrator, and even book number, among other things. I will now show you. Computer, computer, tell my talking books I'm back. I heard on that, and I don't know what to do with it. You selected "Joy of Cooking" by Computer on Stark. Search. Book author Stephen King. Books by Stephen King. First three of ninety-eight. One, Holly, a novel by Stephen King. Two, Fairy Tale by Stephen King. Three, Firestarter by Stephen King, read by Dennis Butsikaris. Say a number or words from the title or next, or say options for more commands. Next. Next three of ninety-five remaining. Four, The Wind Through the Keyhole, by Stephen King. Five, The Dark Tower, by Stephen King, read by George Geidel. Six, Song of Susanna, by Stephen King, read by George Geidel. Say a number or words from the title or next, or say options for more commands. Add four to my bookshelf. Okay, added The Wind Through the Keyhole, by Stephen King to your default bookshelf. Next three of ninety-five remaining. Four, the wind through the keyhole, by Stephen King. Computer.、Five. Books narrated by Jim Dale. Books read by Jim Dale. First three of twelve. One, A Sick Day for Amos McGee, by Philip Christianstead. Two, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, by J.K. Rowling. Three, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. By J.K. Rowling, say a number or words from the title or next, or say options for more commands. Books genre. To help me find the book you want, your question must start with books and include the search field like title, author, genre, or subject. Try books titled The Lion King or books subject dogs. Going back, you were selecting book. Computer. First three of books genre children's books. Books genre children's books, first three of four hundred twenty-five. One, ready, set, read. Best books to prepare preschoolers by Ellen Mahoney, Leah Wilcox. Two, love and death at the mall. Teaching and writing for the literate young by Richard Peck. Three, for younger readers, Braille and talking books, nineteen eighty-eight to nineteen eighty-nine by Unknown. Say a number or words from the title or next, or say options for more commands. Books with number DB one two three four five. There is one book with identifier DB one two three four five available. Watch the wall by Jane Nakin Hodge. Say play or say options for more commands. 
suspend. So there you have it. There are the different ways to search. It is also the ability to search for a book series, uh, keywords. And if you notice earlier, I decided to say a book genre and I didn't fill it in. So it gave you even some help when it came to that. Another way, in addition to searching, you can browse and you have the simple uh, known tools of BARD, such as recently added books and most popular books. And you basically handle this the same way. You bring it up and then you have a list and then you can use previous and next to go through the list. <clears throat> Let's talk about my second part of this demonstration is going to talk about book management. So there are three features of that, and I'm going to show you one of them. But first, I'll talk about it first. We have book uh, the wish list. Wish list is something that a lot of BARD users should be familiar with because it syncs across your various BARD services and products. Uh, something that's added to the wish list will show up um, <coughs> Excuse me, across different devices. So you can use this here to add things to the wish list, which I have done earlier, and then I can even remove it from here. The second option you saw me do is add it to the bookshelf. The bookshelf is specific to my talking books. And as a result, it's only here for the talking book skill. So it's similar to the wish list, but only for here. And the third thing is streaming history. Streaming history is also specific to my talking books because it, my talking books, unlike the others, is not downloading the audio. You're streaming it live which allows the user to listen to it and pick up where you left off from one smart speaker to another. It may even set a footprint for maybe allowing that to be the case with other BARD products in the future. All right, let's explore the wish list. Computer? Computer, tell my talking books I'm back. Repeating. There is one book with identifier D. Computer, e. clear dialogue. Okay, it's canceled. My wish list. Your BARD wish list has 25 items. You can jump through your wish list. Try my wish list from 1000. First three of 23. One, Joy of Cooking by Irma von Starkloff Rombauer, Ethan Becker, Marion Rombauer Becker. Two, Ready, Set, Read, Best Books to Prepare Preschoolers by Ellen Mahoney, Leah Wilcox. 3. Skinny Taste Air Fryer Dinners, 75 Healthy Recipes for Easy Weeknight Meals, by Gina Hamolka, Heather K. Jones, Aubrey Pick. Say a number or words from the title or next or say options for more commands. Delete 1. Do you want to delete Joy of Cooking from your barred wish list? Say yes, no, or go back to return to the list. Yes. Okay. Remove Joy of Cooking. By Irma von Starkloff Rombauer, Ethan Becker, Marion Rombauer Becker, from your BARD wish list. First three of 22. One. Computer. Ready. Suspend. Okay, so that's your wish list. The other thing you may notice is every so often I call the speaker and interrupt the assistant. So that is something you can do. Because, for example, right there, it's going to start reading those things on the wish list again. I can have it do it, or I can call upon it so I can interrupt it. All right, so we've done a demonstration on different ways to search. We've done a book management demo on how to deal with your wish list. What else might we want to do? Huh, imagine this. 
You search, you manage, you might want to read a book perhaps. So let's go and do that. But before we get started, I want to tell you a few commands. The first one is that you are going to need to use the pause command because with my talking books, while audio is playing, you must first inter, um, use the pause command to stop the audio. And then you can issue the various commands that are available. Otherwise, the command will only work with Amazon, but not the My Talking Book skill. Okay. Uh, some of the things you can do while playing, it will be very similar to a typical player. So examples can be you can change the reading speed. You can rewind, fast forward by a specific amount of time. You can go previous and back by chapters, sections, recipes, etc. Well, let's go and give it a shot, shall we? Computer, tell my talking books I'm back. Repeating. Okay. Computer, remove. Clear dialogue. Canceled. Happy to talk again whenever you like. Search book title, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Books with title Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. One. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, by J.K. Rowling, read by Jim Dale, 2. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, by J.K. Rowling, read by Eric Sandbold, say a number or words from the title or say options for more commands. Play 2. Reading Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, starting from where you left off, title and author. Please wait. 1997 by J.K. Rowling. Read by Eric Sandvold. This book was originally created for audio cassette playback. Any announcements concerning cassettes do not apply to this recording. This version contains markers allowing direct Computer. access to major... Pause. What now? Read slower. Play speed decreased. Library of Congress Annotation. On Harry Potter's 11th birthday, he learns that he is more than an unwanted orphan. The Hogwarts School of Computer Afton with Pause. What now? Where am I? Reading title and author. We are at 0% at 42 seconds out of 8 hours 55 minutes. Say, resume reading, or options for more commands. Jump forward 10 minutes. Jumping forward 10 minutes. Broke his mustache. Thinking. No, he was being stupid. Potter wasn't such an unusual name. He was sure there were lots of people called Potter who had a son called Harry. Computer? Come to think of it. Pause. What now? Go to next chapter. Chapter number two. Chapter two. The Vanishing Glass. Nearly ten years had passed since the Dursleys had woken up to find their nephew on the front step. But Privet Drive had hardly changed at all. Computer? Wrote, Pause. What now? Restart book. Okay. Restarting. 47260. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Computer? By Cancel. Leaving my talking books. Bye for now. So that is how you play a book. There are different ways and different more options that I have not yet demonstrated. Uh, you will have the opportunity in the future to explore that. 
Uh, I should also say in closing that there are additional features that I didn't mention yet. One of them is you can, there are preferences with the My Talking Book skill. And one specific preference is to determine the number of items that get read in a list at once. The default is actually 10 and you can go as short as three and as long as 15 at a time. For the sake of time in this demonstration, I have changed that to three instead. The other thing is, of course, there's built-in help and tutorials, because after all, you want to get help and learn how to use it. I hope you are ex excited about listening to this as I am about demonstrating it. You're listening to Council Connection. You'll find us on the Talking Information Center, ACB Media One, the Worcester Audio Journal, Fillmore, and wherever you get your podcasts. 3D printing isn't really printing, at least not in the usual sense. It's a process that allows you to literally design and build just about anything you want from the comfort of your living room. Therefore, it's no surprise that a lot of hobbyists have become very interested in this technology. But as a blind person, I've often wondered how easy it would be for any of us to participate in this hobby. Judy Dixon and Aaron Fregola joined us at our fall conference last year to talk about this exciting technology from two very different perspectives. Here they are to share their experiences. There are two of us speaking to you this morning about 3D printing. I'm going to start and give you kind of the basics and where I'm at with it. And then... Um, Aaron from the uh, library, Kim's library. We in our house we refer to it as Kim's library. So, so Aaron from Kim's library um, will be uh, talking about 3D printing in a library environment, and these are ways that you guys can actually get some 3D printed stuff without having to do it yourself. So. I'm going to talk about 3D, you know, is 3D, I, I was actually asking it as a question. Is 3D printing a viable hobby for blind people? And spoiler alert, the answer is maybe. <laughs> uh, it helps to have a 3D buddy. And that's really the caveat for the whole thing. But let's start with what is 3D printing? 3D printing, there are, I could, I mean, I could speak for several hours on this topic, so I'm going to try to summarize, and those of you who know something about 3D printing may say, well, she didn't cover this and she didn't cover that. Well, I only have 15 or 20 minutes. So there are a bunch of different ways to 3D print things. You can use resin, you can use this powder stuff that's really messy, but most home hobbyist 3D printing people use what's called filament. And filament, if, if any of you, I was a Girl Scout when I was growing up here in Massachusetts, and we use something called GIMP to, to uh, make things. Well, filament, 3D printing filament reminds me of GIMP. And it kind of feels like GIMP. It comes on rolls. It's, it's a little more, it's a little harder, uh, but it's, it's like, it feels like GIMP. And they, what happens is it's, it's on a roll somewhere, and it and it it, um, it goes into the printer, and then the printer melts it. Printer gets hot, and printers do this in slightly different ways depending on the printer. But it melts it, and then it digitally knows where to put this melted thing to build up in layers 
a model of something. And printers are different sizes that you could spend, you can spend, you can actually buy a 3D printer for a hundred bucks or you could buy one for 50,000. So, um, but, but hobby 3D printers are coming down. The 3D printer that I am using, I would not necessarily say it's accessible, but it's definitely usable because of the way I'm using it. And I'll get to that in a little bit. But I want to talk about the 3D printing process. What do you have to do to 3D print something? First of all, you have to either find or make a model. And I started out by finding models. And there are a bazillion of them on the Internet that you can get that you can print yourself. And there's, there's this website called Thingiverse that has a ton of, I mean, ton as in 16 million. Um, models that you can download and almost all of them are free. You can find a few they have to pay for. You know, this model's two bucks. Wow. But you download almost always it will be an STL file. Stereolithographic something. And it's a file like any other file on your computer. So you download this STL file, but you can't just send that to your printer because it it doesn't know about your printer. So then you have to slice. It's called slicing the model and use slicing software. And this is where the accessibility part gets tricky because not only do you have to have a printer that you can use, you also have to have slicing software you can use. But the good news is you don't have to use the slicing software that comes with the printer which is, in my case, I, my printer is an Anchor Make, and, and the Anchor Make software that is the slicing part of the software is completely inaccessible. I mean, 100%. It says button, 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 button. And, but I don't have to use that. There's this software called Simplify 3D, which supports virtually all the 3D printers that are the, the major, certainly the major ones, and it is reasonably accessible. I mean, it's, it's usable. You can learn how to do it. And then you print the model. So that's a cool thing. And you can find lots of models that you can download and you can print and make some things. There are specialty websites for downloading, you know, models with braille. They're using 3D printing a lot now in schools. And kids, I, I I downloaded a solar system that had Braille. Um, I'm, I'm I've been specializing in figuring out how to 3D print Braille. Um, no surprise there. And I have discovered that the best way to print Braille is vertically, um, meaning like Braille on the wall rather than Braille on the floor. And if you print Braille. Vertically, you can actually make some fairly respectable-looking Braille. Um, let's see. Simplify 3D. I'll talk about that. Slicing software. What does it do? Um, my printer. How do I use it? I have a template that a friend helped me make that has holes because my printer has a touch screen. And the good news is the touch screen beeps every time you touch it in, in the in the right place. And 
So I have this template, and I hold it up, and it, and it has four different holes, and they're labeled A, B, A, start, B, USB, C, file name, and D, print. So I hold this template up to my touch screen. I touch one, two, three, four places, and bingo, the printer starts printing. So I don't have to know too much about it. I have had to get rather intimately involved with things like changing the nozzle on the extruder, which you can only do while it's at 200 degrees centigrade. And yes, I have burned my fingers, and uh, that's fine. I, I cook and burn my fingers, and I 3D print and burn my fingers. It's just not really very different. <laughs> You can change the layers, and you can change how it how it works. The other accessibility feature on my printer is that it has a camera. So my friend who helped me get it set up actually lives in Germany, and he can look at my printer from Germany and say, "Oh gosh, let's see now. It's not you know we we refer to it as making spaghetti because if if a print doesn't go well." It'll all start unspewing un all over and, and make a nice pile of what really looks like spaghetti. And uh, so he can actually look at it. So getting a printer with a camera is, is a cool thing. And my printer was only about $500. So it, this is not a really expensive. And, and filament, a kilogram of filament, you can get for about 20 bucks. So it, this is, I have just printed tons and tons of things. Every time I think of something, I've gotten involved now in making models and actually using a program called Open, Open SCAD, Open O-P-E-N-S-C-A-D, which is a CAD program that you can, a blind person can use because everything you do, you write in text. And you write it, and you say, I want to make a cube, and I want it to be this big, and then I want to add some other thing to it, and then I want to put a hole in it, and then I want it. So you specify exactly how you want your model to look. So I've had a great time making uh, a template so we could put Braille on cookies when we were decorating them. And um, I printed a... Uh, thing to put on the wall so that I could put my HomePod Mini, plug it in, and and uh, have it sit on top of this thing so my HomePod Mini can now hang out in my bathroom. And I remember just every time I turn around, I think of something else else to print or something else to make, and uh, it is so much fun. I am just having a ball. I have created a listserv for people interested in talking about 3D printing accessibility, it's a groups I.O. list called 3D-printing-access. So if you're interested in that listserv, it's 3D printing access plus subscribe at groups I.O. And uh, we, we have gotten into some good discussions there about accessible printers and, and so forth. So I'm going to let Aaron um, talk to you now about the 3D printing, and he has brought samples. Um, we got so wrapped up with donuts and coffee this morning that we, uh, Brian and I forgot the samples we were going to bring. So, But Aaron has brought some, and that's very helpful. So I'm going to turn it over to Aaron now, and then we'll be able to take some questions. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I was originally planning on joining you guys remotely, um, but I did bring some samples and I uh, thought it would be a good idea to 
um, describe them. And I think what I'll do is I'll leave some items on the tables and then you'll be free to uh, feel them as we go on. But um, I'll uh, pull out some items, just kind of describe a little bit more uh, and share with you guys some of the theory. Uh, it's important that we um, can uh, uh, observe the applications on how this can improve um, access for people. As many of you may be aware, information can be accessible to people in different ways. Finding something that is 100% accessible for 100% of people, though, it's pretty much impossible. Um, I'll give you an example of this. Uh, large print is something that a lot of people um, understand as being accessible, but large print is only accessible if you have partial vision. Braille is accessible, but only if you can read Braille. So how can we make things more accessible for people in ways that um, are more uh, easily um, accessed? So 3D printing is a really uh, a, a simple way that people are able to produce pretty much anything that their imagination allows them to. I mean, there are physics involved, but um, you can pretty much make anything um, to your mind's eye. Uh, and that includes creating objects which have Braille um, added to them. So, for example, you could take something that um, is... Uh, well, I have an example here I'll show with you guys later. Um, it is a model of Albert Einstein, and someone had added the label Einstein to it in Braille. So if anyone wanted to, they could hold a model of what Albert Einstein looked like and, and feel it, but also read the Braille that's added there. Um, is it Braille accessible to everyone? Not necessarily. Um, but part of the importance of what um, we're hoping to do is to bring awareness to these forms of accessible um, uh, print uh, Braille is important that people are aware of. They understand the importance of it. Um, and hopefully more people will be learning how to read it and how to access information in that format. So being able to add Braille to pre-existing STL files is going to be a huge benefit for those who are looking for assistive devices through tactile means. You can also create uh, raised lettering. So if somebody were able to read print but had difficulty with vision, um, they may be able to find more access in that. That's something that, you know, we learned a long time ago isn't the most accessible way, but for some it may be uh, an option. For an example, we use um, for our bingo cards uh, for the game, it has uh, different ways of accessibility. Um, each bingo card has Braille, high contrast print, and raised lettering. So ways that we could uh, reach the greatest number of people are ways that we can combine different forms of accessibility, and 3D printing allows us to do that. Um, so there's other concepts that um, we're able to um, underline uh, when talking about 3D printing. Uh, one of my favorite uh, discussions is um, uh, part and parcel to a term called gamification. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that term before, but it's a way about um, engaging with people through games and healthy competition. So it's a great way for uh, people to get people involved in activities, get them out of their shell. Uh, a little healthy competition is a, a fun way of engaging with others. So finding ways that we can encourage people to participate in games is a huge benefit. Um, a lot of People have been impacted by loneliness and isolation uh, in the uh, last few years um, and finding ways to encourage uh, community programs for those who feel comfortable is a great way. We, of course, have at the library the telephone program, which is entirely remote activities, but um, encouraging people to do in-person activities where appropriate is also a great way of encouraging uh, that kind of social activity. So uh, I have here two forms of die. One of them is a standard six-sided die like you would normally use when playing a game. Um, all of the dots are not concave, they're convex, meaning that they're raised, they're elevated. Um, this was printed using um, a, a, a PLA filament, 
and I added, it's black, I added white out to all of the raised dots to make it high contrast. So that was something that was done after the fact. Um, I've often used this uh, bit of tech as a demonstration for someone who wants to uh, encourage schools or scholastic environments to be more aware about accessibility. You could break up a classroom into groups of five, and every person, every group has to create an accessible die. Uh, and now you've created a game of Yahtzee. You can donate that to a local council on aging, but you can also have a conversation with the students about why and how are things made accessible. And being made aware of that is part of what we're hoping to do, not just be able to provide but and to explain, but also to uh, educate people on the greater impact of accessible design. I have another model of another type of die. This one is used for role-playing. This is, I believe, a 12-sided die. So unlike the other one, which just has dots that you count up, it goes up to six. Unlike this die, this one goes up to 12. So how do you represent numeric values for someone? Of course, if they read Braille, you know, then you could put Braille on it. But if somebody didn't read Braille, how would they be able to do that? They would have, you know, a tactile feature that would make it accessible to them. But do you want to count up to 12? You know, some of these die go up to 20. You know, imagine if you're playing a really competitive game and someone's arguing whether it was 19 or if it was 18. You know, these can be kind of challenges for, um, uh, you know, playing a game fairly. So in order for this to be made accessible, similar to Braille, they're converting numeric value into tactile features. So, and I'll, 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 I'll show this with you guys later. I'll put this on a few tables to demonstrate. But um, a solid dot represents one. A straight line represents three. And an empty circle represents ten. So knowing that simple code, you're able to translate numeric values into tactile formats, and it's relatively simple uh, code to describe to somebody. Um, something that I learned uh, fairly recently, um, you know, I, I worked on my, on my uh, master's degree in library and information science and just finished it off this last year. And uh, part of my degree was uh, getting uh, a better understanding on how formats can be made accessible. Uh, and um, understanding that Braille is not a language, it's it's a code. And what it does is it transcribes um, pre-existing alphabetic characters into other formats, in this case, uh, tactile formats. But you also could have the Morse code, which is similar. That's an audible format. So understanding how these uh, uh, ways that we're able to convert information over to people in ways that would be uh, more accessible than others. Uh, these numeric values, if I was to roll a die, there's a circle here with two dots. That tells me that's 12. Uh, this one is a line and two dots. That tells me that's five. Three and, and one and one is five. Um, so I can convert these values to somebody in a tactile way. Here's another example. This is the population of Australia, uh, broken down into the five different uh, uh, states of Australia. So I could give somebody, a student, for example, a graph or a table with data points explaining to them the different areas of Australia and the population density and which ones are the most dense. Or I could 3D print them this very simple model that they can hold in their hands and they could compare it and say, oh, more people live on this side of Australia than they do the other side of Australia. Okay, and that representation of... Uh, numeric values into an accessible format is part of what our goal is with this 3D printing world. So imagine some applications. Let's say that there were a library that had a temporary exhibit. Imagine that library being able to produce Braille labels 
for that exhibit. And anyone walking in would be able to find the Braille uh, available to them, whether they uh, necessarily read it themselves or not. But this is important that people are talking about. Why is Braille so important? What does Braille allow people to do? Why is it that the ADA uh, exists? You know, these are conversations that we want to make sure that people are aware of and that we are repeating to them. Um, and uh, one last thing that I'd also wanted to demonstrate to you guys, this is a small model of the Guggenheim in New York City. It's a Frank Lloyd Wright structure. If I were to go on a walking tour with some students who had some spatial uh, difficulties or had some vision loss, I could describe to them the building that we're walking through. I can describe to them the atrium, the Great Hall. Uh, I can describe all the different facets to it. But admittedly, this Frank Lloyd Wright structure is a bit unique. It's, it's an oddly shaped building. It, it's... Uh, uh, a beautiful structure, but a bit abstract. So for a student to get a better understanding, you could give them that same verbal description, but you could also give them that same verbal description as they're holding a model of it in their hand. And you can do that for pretty much anything. And we have a new technology called photogrammetry. It's actually not that new, but um, we're finding new ways of utilizing it. So uh, you may have heard about certain schools that have in the past uh, made models for students of their faces. Now, whether that's really accessible, that's questionable, but people do have the ability of capturing pretty much anything that exists in the physical world into a three-dimensional one. And then using 3D printers, we can recreate it. I'll give you an example. We have here on campus, many of you may be familiar with the uh, the globe. I envision one day that globe's probably going to have to go behind glass and people are no longer going to be able to put their hands on it and touch it. But imagine someone being able to capture that object, all of the individual markings, all of the dents and grooves of it, uh, and then recreate that three-dimensionally. And anyone would be able to reproduce it, um, either a small scale or even a full scale. Um, so the technology, is it's, it's really fascinating what we're capable of to being able to do, finding ways that we're able to utilize this to help our populations is crucial. And what Judy has been doing with the listserv is definitely a, 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 an asset. So if you do have any interest in this, even if it's just a passing one, get signed up with that and learn more about it. Talk with people about it. Share information about it. Because ideally, imagine a world where you could request something and then have your local public library produce it for you. Well, I will just wrap up with what I was saying. Um, there's a lot of different ways that we're able to make information data available to people in accessible formats, some which are more accessible than others. 3D printing allows us to think outside the box and to be able to add accessible features to already existing files and then re-release them back out to the wilderness. Uh, that's a goal. That's a, that's a hope that more people will have a better understanding so that we could potentially have people adding these features to begin with. So it's not an afterthought, accessibility. Uh, anyway, thank you guys so much for your time. I appreciate it. Okay. Uh, yes, we do. I was just, I was, yes, I was just handed a second microphone that's working. So Aaron, why don't you hold on to that okay, for a moment? In the, uh, okay. The cradle. Uh, Judy, if you want that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. If I could take the liberty of asking a first question, I, I imagine the answer to this is obviously yes, but I'll ask it anyway. So I'm a, you know, I'm a technology instructor. I spend a lot of time, you know, talking to people about formatting Word documents and so on. I assume it would be extremely easy and straightforward to print up fonts in Times New Roman or Arial or one of any number of them in sort of larger form so people could sort of feel what Times New Roman feels like and Arial feels, feels like. Is the answer to that obviously yes or no? The answer is yes. Okay, that's my question. So we heard about the Guggenheim Museum, 
And uh, I was wondering, I think Judy mentioned that there were so many things already available. So if I wanted to show a blind child, let's say, what does the Eiffel, uh, Eiffel Tower look like? Or, you know, any of these, um, would I have to build that myself or are these already uh, those available? Are, those are already available. There are loads of things, as I said, and things like Eiffel Towers and um, Statues of Liberty. And I mean, just all the common things that you could possibly imagine are already available. Yep. Uh, and I just wanted to also add as well, um, there are plenty of very common things which exist, but there are a lot of things which are not as common, which do not yet exist. So the Smithsonian uh, is an agency, the Library of Congress is another agency, which is taking uh, strides to produce and capture items which um, don't exist. So, for example, we don't have any bus. There are no bus existing of Samuel Gridley Howe in existence. So if somebody wanted to create one of Samuel Gridley Howe, it's not possible. There are none that are available. So why not? We have a bus that's available, and we do have the technology that exists today to capture it. So th that's ways that we're able to um, capture things that may not exist to reproduce them. But something like the Eiffel Tower, yeah, definitely without it already exist. There's, there's an organization called C3D, S-E-E-3-D dot org. And they have a website, and they take requests for items that people are interested in, and they will send it to you for free. C3D, S-E-E-3-D. And it's run by a woman named Caroline Karbowski, and she started this as a high school student, and uh, she got her, she and her friends are creating these 3Ds. She's asked company for the leftover filament. When, when the filament spool gets near the end, you don't want to start a job that's big because it's going to run out and it's difficult unless you have a multi-extruder printer. So she gets this leftover filament that companies don't need, and she's got a bunch of volunteers doing it. And it's just she's, she's been doing this now for several years. She's amazing. we got a couple more questions in the room. First up is Jeanette. So my question is about when you're – Printing projects go askew. <laughs> Can you reuse that filament once no, it's gone no, through the earth? You, you, you cannot. It's, you just say to yourself, I'm glad this stuff isn't really expensive. Another question in the room. This is Kim. Yes. What I wanted to say, which Aaron didn't say, is that the Perkins Library is um, – on the cusp of wanting to be able to do what um, the, what is it, 3D, C3D can do, where if you contacted us and you said you wanted to see, you wanted a model of the Sydney Opera House, because you've always heard it was a really amazing building, but you have no idea what it looks like. Um, I'm going to say, Aaron can do that. Now, Aaron's probably keeling over in the corner now. But our, our goal is absolutely to make it possible for us to provide you with that because there's so many patterns out there. I call them patterns, but they're, they're files that Judy and Aaron use in their magic world to create all this great stuff. Um, so think about something that you may have always wanted to see 
but you have no idea. And let's challenge Aaron to try making some of these for us. We have two more questions in the room. Yeah, we had one that just came up, David. Yeah, let's let's yeah. Myra Ross, please, Myra. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay. Um, is there an established lending library where people can borrow these things? You don't necessarily need to own the Sydney Opera House, but it would sure be cool to borrow it, check it out, send it back. Is there anything like that that talking books used to be? Um, and well, somewhere I'm, still- I'm not aware of one. Are no. You? No. But but they are so inexpensive. Yes. I, it really wouldn't be worth the postage to and from. Honestly, huh, okay. they, they, I mean, it would cost cents to to make a. a I mean, the the biggest expense is the time. Yeah. But all he all Aaron has to do is start at printing and go off and do his regular job, and the printer will just print his little heart out, and it'll take a couple of hours maybe, and mm-hmm. that's that. So you don't have to babysit it or anything, and and it really is very inexpensive. Yes, correct. Yes. Here. Um. I don't know if people saw the 60 Minutes program, but they uh, 3D printed a house with cement. and So the, 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 the theory behind it could be applied for a lot of things. You have an extruder, and that job is to take a semi-liquid material, semi-permanent material, and make it malleable so that it can be uh, uh, solid. Uh, later, it can be uh, cured later. So some things like uh, cement or concrete, I'm not sure if it's the same video, but I did see one where they were using concrete much in the same way, but instead of filament, it was cement. Um, so yeah, it's fascinating how this technology can evolve or how we can see it evolving. So hopefully we'll see a lot more to come. And Thank you for that. The higher end printers can print glass and wood and, and lots of different materials um, the hobby, the hobby printers. Hang on, guys. The 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 hobbyist, the hobbyist printers, um, for the most part, just print filament, which is basically plastic. But there are different kinds of filament. Even uh, Aaron mentioned PLA filament. That's the most common. But there's TPU. Some of you may have bought iPhone cases made from TPU. It's kind of a softer, more flexible material. So it kind of depends on what you want your final product to be like. Um, and you're, and Tracy Cabello. Thank you, Tracy. Go right ahead. Um, I just want to learn more about this. Is there classes on this? I don't know about classes, but the easiest way I would say to get introduced to it is to just dive in. Um, if you can find um, uh, the, the listserv, that's a great place to get started. There are a lot of resources that are being shared that are designed from the ground up to be more accessible for people. So instead of having to wade through the, as, as pointed out by Tracy, the, the millions of files that may not uh, work for you, we have resources that can make that more accessible. But it is a learning curve, though, as with many things. Also, Bookshare has a whole lot of books available about 3D printing, you know, 3D printing for beginners, 3D printing for dummies and all that, all that stuff. 
So, uh, Judy, I imagine you know a lot about this because you're probably in the process of writing a book about it for MVP. Well, uh, any idea about when that unfor- book would unfor- be? Unfortunately, I will tell you that I did submit a proposal to MVP, and they have declined the opportunity to um, do a book about 3D printing. They don't believe that there's enough interest. Really? Hmm. So, oh, well. if you guys want a book from NBP on 3D printing written by me. Please uh, let, okay. let NBP know Some about advocacy it. there. Okay. Uh, one more question from the floor. Um, yes, this is Shirley Dobson, and I was uh, feeling the uh, the dice, the die, and um, it, it's square. Does it print out each side individually, and you have to glue it together? or It prints, it in, it prints in layers. Okay. So whatever you're printing, and this is, the, you know, there are limitations to what you can print. There, 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 without getting too much into it, it's difficult for it to print things that have kind of overhangs. So it prints the best way it can. It prints the first layer, and then it prints in very, very, very thin, tiny layers. 0.1 millimeter or 0.2 millimeters, these layers are. And it prints hundreds and hundreds of layers. But they, see, if you want to print something with overhangs, there are ways to do it, but you have to put in support. And then if you have a multi-nozzle printer, you can actually print it with water-soluble supports so that once you're finished, you run it underwater, and the supports that you added can just disappear, and then you have the model that you wanted. But that's getting into the technicalities of it. Well, that'll do it for the March edition of Council Connection. If you have any questions or comments about anything you've heard on the show, please leave us a message in the BSCB Fillmore box at 773-572-6312. I'm your host, Steve Dresser, wishing you happy spring and inviting you to join us again in April for another edition of Council Connection. Take care. Audio Journal, the radio reading service of Central Massachusetts, is your best source for news, information, and entertainment for individuals who are blind or otherwise unable to access print material. We are a proud member of the Massachusetts Audio Information Network. If you would like to know our broadcast schedule, go to the Audio Journal website at www.audiojournal.org or Contact us, and we'll gladly send you a large print or Braille program guide. Call 508-797-1117 or email info at audiojournal.org. Audio Journal connects listeners to their local communities. Have you heard the news? Make sure everyone knows you heard it on Audio Journal. Are you aware of the important services provided by Elder Services of Worcester Area, a.k.a. ESWA? ESWA provides home health services, home-delivered meals, home-delivered prepackaged medications, laundry and meal prep, and transportation to medical appointments. For more information, contact ESWA by calling 508-756-1545. Once again... 
That's 508-756-1545. ESWA wants to help you have a happy and healthy new year. Would you like to hear news from Barry and Spencer that you're not likely to hear on commercial television or radio? Then tune in to Audio Journal every Monday at 6 p.m.